Hi, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, where we so schwem all day, every day. Oh man, all right, today we have Kellen, Laura, Zoe, and Hope. Yes, almost a full house. We are joined this week as well by three fantastic guests, all members of DSA, all leaders in their respective chapters, and specifically in their socialist feminist groups. Um, From Chicago, we're joined by Laura. We have Kim, who's co-chair of the Austin chapter of DSA, and we finally also have Maggie from Philadelphia. Welcome, y'all. Cheers all around. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and preface this episode with a few different things. First of all, we're going to have a lot going on in here about what the DSA is up to right now with respect to its socialist feminist organizing. And there's good reason for us to be doing that. So for one thing, and the thing that really precipitated us wanting to do this episode now when we're doing it, is that Maggie and the rest of the Philly Socialism Group are hosting a National Socialist Feminist Convergence in Philadelphia this April, Ooh. the 26th through the 28th. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited to talk Yay. about that. Um, we'll get into that soon. Uh, I don't know if it's been officially announced or if this is like the official announcement, but season of this is will it. be there. Um, That's right. We'll be holding Q&A on Friday the 26th as part of the Convergence. And we'll also be doing a mini live show at 730 on Saturday, April 27th, which is open to folks in the Philly area who aren't attending the Convergence as well. Um, it'll be a pretty small, intimate venue. We're going to have wine and beer available. And very excitingly, we're going to be interviewing uh, Cinzia Ruza, who is co-author of Feminism for the 99%. Yes. So that's exciting. Um, another reason this episode is pretty DSA-focused is coming from a recognition that DSA is the biggest socialist org in this country right now, for better or for worse. And the reason, the recent decision to endorse Bernie Sanders has gotten a lot of attention, also for better or for worse. Um, In fact, we at Season of the Bitch are actually internally divided over how we voted on the issue. Uh, But one of the reasons that many folks were against the endorsement comes from Bernie's record on certain feminist issues, like supporting pro-life candidates, and especially because of his recent vote on SESTA-FOSTA, which were the bills that were supposedly meant to target human trafficking, Um, but in practice have further criminalized and endangered sex workers. Um, Mm -hmm. He's also very recently said that he, like, quote, doesn't know where he falls on sex work decriminalization. Um, You know, he's obviously got a lot of other important or, you know, problematic positions we need to push him on, on things like racial justice as well. So in this context, I think it's really important to highlight the work that people, especially women and non-binary folks, are doing in the DSA around issues of reproductive justice and sex work decriminalization and more, not to, like, absolve the DSA of anything, you know, or whatever, but just to make sure that in all this, like, Bernie hubbub, we're recognizing that there's a lot more work going on than just debates about the 2020 election and, like, right. socialist feminists. <laughs> Yeah, socialist feminists are the people that are doing a whole lot of that work. Yeah. So, 
with all that being said, we're hopefully going to talk about the broader left some at the end and the kind of coalition work we can all be doing to advance this like socialist feminist agenda nationally and even in coordination with left feminists globally. But anyway, if you're listening to the podcast now and you're like, oh, I don't want to hear about DSA. Don't make me listen to more about DSA. Like now is a good time to like switch to a different episode. I will definitely take it personally, <laughs> but that's your choice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm super glad you brought all this up, Kellen. Um, I am definitely someone who feels pretty alienated by the DSA, particularly by my local chapter. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And especially when we think about it in a feminist context, like I used to be an officer. I used to be much more involved in general, but I had to take a big step back locally. I try to do things more nationally because of how toxic different pieces of that were. You know, like I still support DSA because it is the like – I think still the best chance we have at doing socialism. Um, And I try to make it work for ways that feel good to me. Like we're doing an Emma Goldman reading series, which I'm freaking stoked about. And we also have a queer caucus that is really nice. But um, socialist feminism in a chapter like mine, which is so heavily dominated by cis straight dudes, is exhausting. Um, And the emotional labor of it got to me. So I had to step way back. But anyways, not that this is about me. I... I'm just saying, I think there are a lot of ways to push the socialist feminist like agenda forward outside of the DSA. And I'm stoked to have that be part of this conversation, too, as well as understanding how we can use the DSA to push these as well in like whatever context we want to. Yeah, I think that's that's like a good segue to, uh, yeah, start bringing in our guests. So, Kim, you are co-chair of Austin DSA, like. One thing I wanted to ask you is how do you bring your feminism and feminist politics to that like very important chapter wide leadership role? So, yeah. So within Austin DSA, the way that our leadership is structured is that we have um, an 11 body like executive board or whatever. We don't call ourselves an executive board. We call it like I think right now our name is the leadership committee. So within that 11 person group, um, like it has to be majority non-men mm. um, and and those and it has to be majority like representative of um, like more marginalized groups. So we have like um, so I think we have the way that our particular group identifies it, I think we have um, six women and five men. Um, we make it so very much like from the get go that the all of the basically all the keys to the castle aren't locked with just like cis white dudes like. Um, our group is really representative and like that body within itself is what makes a lot of um, the decisions like in between meetings or um, kind of like in reference to what the chapter has kind of let us know that it wants to do. Um, and so for us, it's a lot of um, it's kind of a, a little bit of it is a ch- is a change because we um, the leadership body that's there now just got in there in January um, and we've been kind of like this is the first year we've done this like uh, more expanded leadership group with um, these specific requirements. And it's been a really um, nice change. I was on the, the previous board and this board. And so it's been a nice change because there's a lot more, well, I feel a lot more dialogue. Um, and sometimes that means more conflict, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it leads to a lot more people being able, being comfortable to say what they feel that they need to need to say. And it also kind of brings in, Um, And part of this is because of the different like areas of specialty within that group of people. So we have like a couple, we have like a social worker on like on board and she's amazing. Mm. Right. And like having someone to like bring in like 
like, hey, we should be asking for feedback, which is something that someone, you know, that we'd said we should do. But now we have someone who's really actually doing it. And I find that to be like a very feminist thing to do to like be constantly asking for feedback and wanting to lift up people who maybe whose voices that we aren't actually hearing yet, um, mm. like kind of into the fold. Um, we also um, some of us tend to whenever discussions get a little funky or maybe like the processes haven't been going as smoothly as normal. We actually pull from Chicago DSA's uh, feminist process. Um, yeah. There are a couple Yay. of us who really, yes. Which was brought to us by Kellen from Yeah, New I York. actually, <laughs> I was the one that put those together. No way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the whole world. Anyway, sorry. You that guys, what a socialist <laughs> feminist little party we have going on here. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much my answer is a lot of like a lot of discussion, a lot of um, hearing one another out, but also like, kind of when we ha when we struggle going back to like some like agreed upon um, ideas about like how we're supposed to operate and what the best path forward is um, for the whole chapter. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I, I guess another question that I, I, it's something of a follow-up, I guess, that I had is, is we, I think within DSA, there can be um, some, I don't know if tension's the right word, but I feel like we hear a lot about what's going on in like large Northern and Midwestern and coastal chapters, but a lot less about what's going on in the South sometimes. And I was wondering both like how you see that playing out, like if that's something that affects y'all and also just like, what's it like being a socialist feminist organizer in the South? Like, does that feel, do you feel like the challenges you face are different than like those of us organizing in other parts of the country? Um, yes and no, like to kind of speak to like being a chapter like in the South, we're one of the larger ones mm -hmm. um, and we are in a very liberal city. And so like, I feel like that's something to call out for folks because what we experience is much different than what like, someone organizing in like rural Georgia would experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, that being said, we are in like a red state, a very red state with a red legislature. Um, and so like we're, we'll probably get into this later, but like we're fighting a six week abortion ban in Texas right now. Mm -hmm. So like those are like really real things that we're fighting. Like we passed a paid six days ordinance here in Austin. Our Austin city council voted that yes, all all workers should have a paid, paid sick time. They should be able to earn that. And our legislature is currently trying to force through a bill that would prevent uh, municipalities from making those kinds of restrictions um, mm -hmm. or those kinds of giving workers those types of, um, of wins, which is garbage, obviously. Um, <laughs> but so like, so on some hands, it's like even some of the wins that we get, we're, we're seeing taken away within the legislature, but we're still fighting them as best we can and kind of like emphasizing the need for, um, for the community support and for organizing within um within the people and the, especially here in Austin, there's so many organizations doing this type of work um, mm -hmm. that like built, like leaning on our coalition partners is really important. But again, we do like, it's really, really easy. It's really important and easy for me to acknowledge that like organizing for us in Austin is different than organizing for folks in the rest of the South. Um, but that being said, like there's definitely some tension sometimes um, in terms of like, you know, um, we have had to go counter protest at the Capitol for like just legitimately like fascist events, mm -hmm. um, which is something that obviously a lot of folks in the South are dealing with, but I'm sure um, folks all over the country are dealing with right now and kind of learning 
how to do that and how to do that safely as a chapter um, has been something that we've explored over the past uh, couple of couple of months. Um, but yeah, like as far as um, I don't know if I've answered your question or not. I've been talking for yeah. about a minute. <laughs> oh no no no! Totally cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the um, the abortion ban thing is like. Uh, horrifying um and it feels like a, a constant struggle but it's also a great segue i think into work that i know laura's been doing <laughs> um for those who don't follow laura on twitter first of all what are you doing wrong um <laughs> but secondly she incentivizes donations um uh by promising the public stories about her wonderful partner known fondly <laughs> to many many a chicago and a sweet joe um, oh and these funds God. go to, uh, yeah, organizing to raise money for the yearly abortion bullathon that a lot of chapters are involved in. So Laura, you want to talk to us about that? Yeah. Like why that? Absolutely. So first of all, um, I have to, I have to give Kim a shout out cause, cause she is an absolute rock star, um, and has been coordinating our efforts through the second year in a row now, I believe. Right? Oh, my <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Girl, you're killing it. So, Let's go. Go so get she's it. yeah, she's already got this like like handled. So she can also speak to this um, at, at least as much as I can because this is only my second year doing this. Um, I first started. This is one of like like my first big social fund projects was last year was starting to do bullathon fundraising. Um, the National Network of Abortion Funds Bullathon is um, a, as it sounds like, network of abortion funds. Um, so you've got several um, local funds around the country um, that sort of band together and use this national network to coordinate efforts to fundraise and um, cooperate, that sort of thing. Abortion funds help uh, people who can't afford it pay for a procedure and also pay for things like travel, mm -hmm. um, child care. Mm -hmm. What's one of the things about these um, bans? is that, you know, just because you're banned in one state doesn't mean you can't cross the border and go into another state. But that also means it's like a really ridiculous undue burden on people to even be able to get abortions. Right. Um, so so on the one hand, like, we're, we're doing local fundraising. I'm fundraising for the Chicago Abortion Fund, um, which is my, my, our local one that we work with as a chapter. And um, if I might say so, we do a really good job. We're the top fundraiser we crashed Hell yeah. dollars last Hell year. yeah you are y'all um, are always like at the top before everyone else has even started it's so <laughs> incredible <laughs> we really love it and it's because we have like such a great great team you know the people in social who've who've been organizing this um for the past couple of years are really really incredible um and you know our team captains are incredible and then the chicago abortion fund itself is just like very radical um but there's a lot of things that you learn in doing abortion fundraising yeah. this way. Um, I feel like some of like my top things I've, I've been thinking about a lot uh, over the past few, few months really, as we've been doing it this year um, are things like the six week bans, which are not just in Texas, but they've been trying to push those through in the past just few weeks in Mississippi, um, Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri. They passed the one in Georgia. They passed the one in Ger Georgia. Uh, yeah. Missouri, there's a stay on it, like a judicial stay on it, I think. Uh, yeah. Or no, that one's Kentucky. I don't know. There's so many that I cannot keep track of them. Yeah, um, I, think the, I should clarify. I think the Georgia one has one more house. It's like stopped in one of the houses, but they're very concerned. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, I mean, 
you know, in, in terms of, like, reproductive justice organizers across the country, like, it's been, like, you know, code red for 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 weeks on this and, mm-hmm. and for a long time because steadily they've been using things like this to chip away at abortion access. Um, and so it's really um, the local funds... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got distracted. My dog hopped up on the bed. And she's yes. leaving now. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, Frida. Frida stopped by and then left. Um, okay, where was I going with Wait that? Wait a minute. <laughs> Hope's dog also named Frida. Yes, our dogs have the same name. Okay. <laughs> I was like, we need to at least acknowledge this. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Hope's dog, Frida. Okay, perfect. I'm a big fan of both Frida, so I had already actually made that connection in my mind because I <laughs> I know people's like pets' names more than I remember like humans' names. Understandable. Um, anyway, abortion. Go on. All right, absolutely. Frida had an abortion once. Um, that's my like stupid story. I like telling about. Wait, her. really? Wait, yeah. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, dogs. When you when she like was a stray, so they picked her up, and so like in her paperwork it says pregnant spay on it, which is like long story short, a dog abortion. Like they give wow. them, they mm-hmm. take out the puppies because they're not like very far along, so they like the puppy fetuses. There's the Fetus is the same name, right? It's always a fetus. I think um, so. This is not super great rep- reproductive justice language or anything, but, like, they take out um, their uterus. or they, they do the spay procedure at the same time, so it's like a dog abortion, um, mm. which I'm always just, like, like sort of tickled by. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, okay. I feel like that's important because there's, like, you know, the whole, like, dog caucus um, bullathon thing, so... I know, and I yeah, always like want to. I want to talk about that, but like also, I feel like talking about dog abortions is maybe like too insensitive to people. I don't know. <laughs> people are like, you're pushing like a lot of buttons when you're talking about abortion stuff, and I actually think. Um, so for the listeners, the Dog Caucus um, is an online, unofficial DSA yes. caucus. Um, who is? They're actually just really incredible. Both the dogs and the humans that accompany them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because they do a lot, they, they sort of use, like, you know, they post silly memes and they talk about, like, seizing the, the couches for the canine class and forming a dog union, um, which is just, like, very fun yes. and, like, relaxing, you know, lets you let off steam. But also they use their sort of online popularity every year to get involved in the bullathon and raise a ton of money, um, like, thousands and thousands of dollars. And they always pick a fund um, that is in a state that is particularly targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, this year they're actually, um, fundraising, they have three teams. One's fundraising for West Virginia. One is for Missouri and another one is for the Alabama, Mississippi, um, joint abortion fund. Well, it's two funds that sort of like fundraise jointly. Mm. Um, that's really incredible that fund in particular, because they're, they're all, again, the only fund in their state. They only have like one clinic in their state and, and they're really, um, do incredible radical work. Um, but which leads me back to before I got wildly distracted um, by dog abortions. Uh, <laughs> the, the original point of what I was trying to say here, which is that like you learn a lot about how these sort of these struggles are simultaneously independent and yet connected. Um, everyone's doing like a local fund because every single location needs help regardless um, of of your actual location, you know, Um I was I was talking to somebody from from Baltimore today who who was basically like like 
the need is so still so great here because the procedures can be so expensive, especially, you know, the further along you get, the more difficult it is. If you're in the second trimester, um, mm. it's, it's thousands of dollars more expensive. Um, there's still people who are traveling from their own states into other, other um, what you might think of as like blue states, but that means all of those people from red states still need funds in order to travel to a blue state to get that procedure a lot of the time because although it's like technically legal, you know, Technically, Roe v. Wade is still a thing. Uh, it it is so expensive as to be completely inaccessible, mm-hmm. um, and it has things like twenty four or twenty four or forty eight hour waiting periods that put really undue burdens on people um, that are very very purposefully done to tr- sort of like put up an obstacle and make people not go through with it. Um, that's the actual like anti-choice rhetoric is every single time, you know, they'll disguise it with this, like, oh, it's for their own good. Everybody needs to have an ultrasound. It's more safe. And Mm -hmm. they should have two appointments because they need to think it through. And also they should have to get the permission of their parents and blah, blah, blah. They make these things up (laughs) so that women and other people who need abortions will be forced to not be able to get them for as long as possible mm. until it's, it's too late or too expensive for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's one of the reasons why like abortion funds are, are a really radical leftist organization. They're, they're directly pay- helping people who need it. Um, they use radical language talking about redistributing wealth, that everyone deserves health care, um, that everyone deserves to be able to control their own bodily autonomy, and they don't back down on it either. Um, the, the other really great thing about the Bullathon is, and I talked about this, you know, sort of, sort of briefly for a second with like the way the dog caucus language is, that it can seem sort of like cavalier or, or funny or, or whatever, because they use memes and stuff like that. And they, and they joke around with the dogs to, to raise money. Um, but it's actually really sort of empowering, I've always felt, because it takes abortion from something that everyone's been so conditioned to think of as like this shameful thing where you made a mistake and you did something wrong and now you've got to go do this and you have to hide it from everyone. And it really like instead is just unapologetic about treating abortion like it's any other thing. Like people, you know, you might not be happy about where you are. You know, lots of people need abortions for medical reasons that don't relate to necessarily their own desire to not have children. Maybe they do want children, but but being unapologetic about it can really, I think, take away a lot of the shame associated with that and, and challenge us to think about it in a different framework, to stop acting like we have to be ashamed of it. You know, like there's this sort of Democrat like, oh, abortions should be like um, safe and rare or something. But instead of doing that, abortion funds are just like they should be whatever you want them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they shouldn't be, you know, we don't have to be pushing this sort of like, oh, we need to avoid this at all costs sort of thing. Right. Because that's just like, it's automatically meeting anti-choicers on their own terms. You yeah. know, they're defining the yeah. terms of the debate. Exactly. Yeah. Could, could I add something to that as well? Please yeah. add everything, Kim. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so like to what Laura's saying, kind of like breaking down that that stigma, right? The stigma that like everyone who has an abortion, like that it's a real like traumatic experience and that it was a huge decision. Like for some people, that is not true. 
And for some people, that absolutely is true. And so one thing I really love about like the, the greater abortion movement that's going on in the U.S. and the reproductive justice movement that's going on in the U.S. is that it's very much meeting people where they're at. Um, so there are some yeah. people who want to like that whole, like shout your abortion. That is for some people, like there's this whole program, um, called we testify. That's just folks telling their abortion stories because they find power in that. Um, and there are going to be people who that's not the case for them. And one thing that, um, we've been kind of challenging ourselves on a local level is to kind of meet both of those needs as much as we can, like to meet the needs of everyone within those two, like huge, you know, spectrums of people. Um, and also just to add about abortion funds being radical as F, like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. <laughs> they're also like very largely volunteer run and they're very largely women of color run. Um, and mm -hmm. they're unapologetically so. And I really, really appreciate about that, mm. um, that about them, especially when you're looking at, at like folks who are running like abortion funds, like in direct contrast with like people who are running like a lot of these right wing like groups. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's all dark money. That's all like. <laughs> you know, dark money, cis white dudes, whatever, like cis white women. But on like the exact opposite of that, you have like these women of color who are just unapologetically fighting for what their communities need. And that is so fucking baller. Like I yeah. have been like oh, yeah. <laughs> expressed. Okay. Sorry. I had to say that. No, <laughs> no, that sorry. was great. But so. it's almost just like <laughs> such a great opportunity in so many ways to radicalize people too, because like if you show them you're unapologetic and you're being really direct, like we actually had a couple conversations here where people were having some trouble because they like posted up on their Facebook and weirdly like a ton of us in Sochfem are like ex-Catholics or, or like radius <laughs> Catholic and like very uncomfortable with it or whatever. But like, uh, I was talking to some people and their parents were, were like really like mad about it, that they posted about it. They're like, what if your your uncle who's a priest sees this or what if your, you know, XYZ sees this? And like in some ways that's difficult. You know, you really have to deal with that. But in other ways, you're you're forcing people to sort of contend with it. And also it's not like one of the things that drives me nuts about sort of like the more liberal like like abor abortion approach is that everything's still treated like it's a debate and for me like this is not a debate anymore the fact that we're debating about it is one of the reasons that we're losing access because we're acting like it is up for debate so so yeah. my own sort of yeah. thing like I try to meet people where they're at in terms of like explaining like why I believe in this sort of thing but when it comes to people who are clearly engaging in bad faith and like running the Bolathon access DSA Bolathon crew Twitter account, you get like people who will post and just, you know, just like be really, really weird and anti-choice about it. And sometimes they'll reply to like our tweets or something with like, you know, like the dead like baby pictures or something. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, which yeah, is just gross. like gross and like screwed up. And like, why, why are you doing this? Also, those like are all fake. Um, yeah, but, but, but it, we don't like, sometimes people will like get in arguments and our mentions about it. And I'm just like, we do not have to respond to this. We don't yeah. have to debate because mm. we're not like in certain ways. It's like, forgive, forgive me for comparing the anti-choice movement to fascists, but, um, there's a lot of like coinciding, um, viewpoints there and infiltrate. Yeah. Well, there's overlaps in both movements. For um, sure. but like, mm -hmm. we don't have to like debate fascists. And we don't have to debate people who, like, inherently don't believe we deserve to have bodily autonomy or control over our reproductive choices. We can just, like, move on because we know that they're in good not coming to you in good faith. And we know that they, like, 
are already said. So, yeah. yeah. And just like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, men in general always think that we need their opinions. And, like, we actually don't have to listen to your opinion. So. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit, um, have another question for Laura, and then Maggie, we're going to ask about the convergence next. So I just, just so you know, <laughs> um, also jump uh, in here if you have anything to say, Maggie. Yeah. Also jump in, but cool. we kind of like wrote questions for like each of you in order. So yours are coming up. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just, yeah. Pulling the curtain aside a little bit there. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure you knew that we weren't forgetting, but, um, <laughs> so for Laura, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Laura's been spearheading the efforts to revive the um, National Working Group for Socialist Feminism. And I'm going to throw in a little Ooh. plug here. Yeah, a little plug for Laura, also for myself, which is that oh. I've been um, coordinating a socialist <laughs> feminist zine for Build um, with a couple other folks. But Laura just wrote our intro, which I read yesterday and was like crying um, <laughs> because I just felt very yeah. like, so it's really beautiful. Everyone look out for it. Um but anyway, so in the Slack, you recently brought up um, like figuring out what our demands are as feminist organizers and how we can make them heard. Um, and I think definitely for me, like I get really frustrated trying to talk to like people who I don't agree with, which is often, you know, like men, um, <laughs> and reductionist type people. So like I mostly just voice my demands to like other socialist feminists who I know are going to like agree with me and that solidarity feels really good but isn't necessarily like propelling in a lot of ways um and so I'm wanted to kind of talk about like what your vision is for reviving the national working group and like how we can make these issues heard like more in the organization at large and just like in general in a larger way yeah absolutely um, I mean, part of the reason I was really dedicated to getting the National Working Group sort of back on its feet here, which it had been like one of our earliest National Working Groups and just, you know, because of, shout out Peg Strobel, um, the most Yay. amazing Chicago comrade. Love and, her. Um, just Yay, an incredible Peg. human and like longstanding like socialist feminist organizer, been in DSA since like the very beginning, um, who had to take a step back last year. And it was just sort of difficult um, once she was like MIA, it sort of fell to somebody who was super overcommitted and it, it couldn't sort of keep going at the pace it had been going before, which is just like, I mean, on the one hand, like story of DSA. Um, and that's partially because yeah. so much of like the work of keeping thing go things going falls to really, really overcommitted women. Um, and so one of the things, you know, I was thinking about in terms of like our national working group and when I was writing the intro to build was just sort of like why, you know, we are pulled in all of these different directions and we feel like we have to be doing something f for everything. And like we get to a point where like we don't know how to articulate our demands because in some ways we're not all together on this. Right. Um, but I'm really, you know, it's it's interesting that you sort of said like the, it feels better to be articulating these demands and talking through these issues with other comrades we already know are feminists and we already know are down for sort of our feminist perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's part of like the, of the appeal of the national group also and all of our different social femme groups. But, you know, I was talking to all these social femme groups across the country when I was working on democratic left socialist feminist issue. Um, and everyone was having the same problems everywhere. You know, everyone was really struggling to 
um, you know, keep people going and not burning out, keep people in conversation, educate their whole chapter on what feminist organizing was like, mediate these conflicts that were coming up in their chapter, also argue on behalf of feminist organizing as something that's worthwhile in a socialist yeah. organization, which was weird to me too, because we've always like, our messaging is very feminist, you know? Um, we are a feminist organization, in my opinion. Um, and so we should be, yeah. We should be, right? <laughs> yes. um, but like the way we talk about it, like, like, you know, it's not like there's any sort of message coming from on high that's saying like, oh, you know, feminism like doesn't belong in DSA or anything like that. And yet we're experiencing that over and over again in all these disparate circumstances in our chapters. Um, so getting the national group together and getting it people in conversation there and talking to other feminists was like one of my main missions with that was to make everyone have like make us stronger by being together in a certain sense there's a lot to be said about having a national group you know when you're local a lot of times especially in in certain locals laura you sort of mentioned um how yeah. buffalo has like this really bad gender parody and and like there's a lot of smaller chapters that are like that they just have like a lot more men who show up to stuff than than women. Um, but like the way one of the ways to combat that is to help the women who are showing up to stuff unite and to also like grow that a little bit. And so like if there's a couple of women showing up to your chapter and they don't have anybody like really to turn to they don't have sort of the strength of numbers, but if they're part of a network of socialist feminists nationally um, that they can turn to for resources or to talk through problems or to get support, all of a sudden we're a lot more powerful at a, at a local level as well. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of what the national group's about is bringing people together from across these chapters so that they can show solidarity to one, other, one another, yes, but also start propelling things forward and have strength and put pressure on people. You know, when we've got a national group, we have influence and we have power and you can start, um, you know, in numbers appealing to people to do the right thing and talking to chapters and giving them the resources that they really need. Um, so I think that's like a major thing that I want to do. Like nobody is in this alone or should be in this alone. Um, but there are some really hostile locals and the way to combat that is not just to let people, you know, do what they want or walk all over you or, or let the socialist feminists who are there like flounder on their own. The way to help that is to sort of unite and get everyone together and, and do some, you know, solidarity forever lyric stuff, like get Hell the, yeah. yeah, right? What's the <laughs> line? Um, yeah, is there any force weaker on earth than the strength of one or whatever it is? But we gotta get all of us together. <laughs> and when there's, when there's lots more of us who are saying the exact same thing, then we can show that this is something that our organization values and and hostile behaviors that don't appreciate feminist organizing or or even sort of like neutral ones that just don't get it like those aren't acceptable because this is a crucial part of how we're trying to change the world here and if yeah i and feel like that's this this is a great sort of way to segue into like talking about the the upcoming um philly 
feminist convergence yes. that's, that's, that's gonna yeah. be amazing yeah which also the reason that like build is doing their issue is to come out the same time as the convergence and like that's why we're doing this episode in time for that so i mean even just yeah having that and like showing that this is something that there are a lot of people interested in is like making it become even more heard because then other people want to like be a part of that totally yeah i also want to just echo what Laura was saying about, you know, chapters who aren't necessarily receptive to socialist feminist ideals. Because when I was first going to Philidia DSA meetings alone and really confused about Robert's rules and completely unaware of the <laughs> factions and ideological splits and like insider baseball, um, which like felt like everyone was just like subtweeting each other and mm. like using bureaucratic language to like one up one another. Um, you know, the only way that I really got involved deeply and meaningfully in, in DSA was starting a socialist feminist working group. Um, and yeah. even after we started the working group, there were a lot of people in the chapter who didn't really understand what we were trying to do or were really suspicious of our motives or were scared of losing power. And when we brought the resolution forward to, um, you know, get support for the socialist feminist convergence, the first response was like, how much money will it cost? Who are you thinking of going into coalition with? Like, what is the plan? And there was just like a lot of suspicion and I think a lot of bad faith. And then we like ran it by some folks in the New York Socialist Feminist Group and some folks in Pittsburgh. And their first response was like, oh, we can raise a thousand dollars for you guys probably. Like, when is it? We're coming. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I think like- That's a good response. Yeah. I love that so much. So like, Socialist Feminist Network is so important in terms of, like, supporting one another and, like, getting things moving. It's been a huge part of the convergence. Yeah, absolutely. I – so our, I wanted to talk a little bit – like, I have heard some whisperings about this, but um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the Socialism dynamic in Philly. Like, I heard through the grapevine that Philly DSA would not officially recognize Socialism as a working group. Like, what is – what's the deal? What's happening? <laughs> um, such a good question. I think – a really important thing for us recently has been not getting sucked into the whirlpool of ideological splits and factions and um, all of the different like caucuses that are emerging and then dissolving. Um, I think it's really easy to lose a lot of energy that could be spent actually organizing and trying to, I don't know, fight with people who will never agree with you because they don't want to. Um, so yeah, it's been a struggle <laughs> from the start to get off the ground. Um, when <laughs> the way the socialist feminist group in Philly first started was, uh, Amber Frost of Chapo Trap House had been invited to speak at a DSA general meeting and it seemed like everything, it was like a specific type of Jacobin white guy writer or a Chapo stand that was speaking. And, um, I wasn't ever seeing my type of socialism reflected and I asked some sort of question and Amber Frost gave kind of a BS answer and after the general meeting someone else in my chapter came up to me and was like this isn't my type of socialism and that's definitely not my type of feminism and I was like yeah me either <laughs> and so we started this yeah kind of informal working group um our chapter doesn't ne necessarily recognize working groups they seemed kind of hostile to the idea um we thought about 
forming a committee and we had a lot of non-DSA members as well as Philly DSA members um, in the working group and we kind of wanted to leave it open um, to people who were suspicious of DSA but who wanted to be involved to like have a voice in our group because I think DSA as at least Philly DSA is a mostly like bureaucratic cis white male dominated space can be super alienating to folks um, so yeah I don't know we've gone kind of back and forth with the leadership in Philly and we've realized that we can do the work that we want to do informally without um, a lot of I, I don't know without like a formal standing relationship to the chapter um, which is why I think like having a relationship with a national socialist not national socialist <laughs> the socialist feminist group working group at the national level has been really great and really supportive in remembering why uh, we're all a part of DSA because it is this like really amazing umbrella organization where um, a lot of really cool work can happen, right? Like just because your local chapter operates this way doesn't mean that um, other chapters look operate in a similar way. So yeah, that's been super helpful. Yeah. As someone I'm from Philly and like just obviously the Philly DSA chapter gets a lot of, um, you know, bad subtweets and stuff, which is embarrassing <laughs> to me as like a hometown Stan. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, to talk more about the convergence, how did you guys decide to do that? And then what has the process been like for organizing it? Totally. Um, so I honestly don't know whose idea it was originally. I think it might have come from some build people. The idea had been like floated by um, various voices. And then um, one of our comrades, Shelly, brought it to a general meeting and immediately everyone in the room was like, this is the best idea ever, <laughs> you know, yes. like, because we were feeling super isolated um, in our chapter. We were all kind of questioning, like, do we want to have a relationship with DSA at all? Mm. Is Philly DSA the right space for us to organize in? There are a lot of other groups in the city doing really rad progressive work. Um, but we did like kind of consistently come back to the idea that like a socialist feminist lens was really important for all of us. And we really loved the work that was being done in Pittsburgh and in New York and by people across the country. So the social from convergence really originated from the realization that like so many other people all across the country were doing so much like good and inspired work, but we weren't necessarily always talking to each other. So mm -hmm. the social from convergence is a lot like this podcast episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like we, you know, we've really thought that just by talking to each other and by like being around each other and like sharing a social space, but also like very strategically sharing skills and theories and like workshops, we could all be doing like better and smarter organizing. Um, yeah, so we just really wanted to like get everyone in the same room and like start talking. And the response to it has just been like continuously enthusiastic. Like we've gotten a lot of folks from like Hawaii and North Dakota and people are launching their own fundraising campaigns in order to be able to come to the social Femme convergence. And it's just been like the diametric Amazing. opposite of like our relationship to Philly DSA no. leadership. You know, yeah. it's just been like super positive and we're like, oh, this is the way that we should be spending our time organizing, not doing like this painstaking, like hand-wrenching work of like, you know, organizing bureaucratically around resolutions that will never win. Like we can just actually do the organizing that we want to do. And a lot of people have our back. 
Um, yes. Yeah, so it's been super cool. The convergence itself is going to bring together like a lot of different people from a lot of different places. Um, and I think it's a really interesting blend of organizers um, and academics and um, union leaders who are doing all sorts of different work. And I think there will be something for everyone. Um, like there will be super simple kind of like organizing and activism 101 stuff where you can learn how to like facilitate a meeting better and utilize progressive stack. Um, and then we're going to do stuff around queer and trans issues and health justice and mm -hmm. abortion access and reproductive rights and decarceration and prison abolition. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're also going to have Nancy Frazier um, and Tiffy Bhattacharya and Cinzia Ruza talking about their feminism for the 99% manifesto. Um, I just think it's going to be like such a beautiful weekend and like we've just been getting so many emails and so many like tweets from people being like how can I help how can I volunteer how can I like give you guys money um, and it feels really really good it feels like an idea I wish we'd had like when we very first started the working group you know? <laughs> it's super exciting and you all I just wanted to say have have done such awesome work um, without receiving the resources that you were really due, honestly, in my opinion. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad that we're, we're now able to help you a little bit more at National, but like you would have just achieved it like wildly without us because you're all awesome. From the start, the national like network of socialist feminists across the country, even without like the socialist feminists working group at the national level like the individual working groups at the different chapters were super instrumental mm -hmm. in forming the philly socialist feminist working group like Aww. me and like my one other friend in my chapter were like how do we do this you know and before mm -hmm. we like figured it out we were literally just looking around the chapter being like that person is a non-man like are you my feminist being like do you know anyone who might be a feminist <laughs> and then we like finally posted to a public uh dsa facebook group dsa new members and i wrote like to the group being like hey does anyone know how to form a socialist feminist working group like me and my friend are trying to do this thing we're trying to build socialist feminism we're not really seeing our type of feminism reflected in our chapter and then like within the hour there were like 10 people who were like hey do you want to jump on a call with me and like talk for an hour about your experiences like there were so many people from our <laughs> chapter who were like Amazing. so so excited and like a lot of whom I'm still in touch with and a lot of whom are like coming to the convergence and really excited about it so like this national network is just like super super beautiful and powerful to me and I think it's one of the only reasons I'm in DSA because I do have a lot of fraught and like confused and ambivalent feelings about it and then like mm. I talk to people like you all and then I'm like oh yeah this is exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes it's, it's sort like of like wild <laughs> I don't it's I sort of wild how generous everyone is with their time like yeah. mostly yeah. like some men especially women yeah. <laughs> And then binary people are just like, they're like will willing to give so much to like make sure your organizing is successful. Um, and, and part of that is like, I mean, being feminist is so tied to being socialist, which is like being willing to give up your time, being willing to, to help out people because, you know, you're not, you don't stand to benefit from it, right? They just, you know, know that it can help you. Yeah. Um, it makes me so happy. 
<laughs> Imagine all that we could do if all of DSA was truly as feminist as they say they are. <laughs> yes. My, my, my coming from the most loving place possible challenge to folks is just like, if like if there is a group of people within your org who's upset like with you, especially like in this like conversation about like socialist feminism, yes. like ask yourself why. Yes. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's okay to get that it's it's okay to have this conflict. It's okay to like not be perfect. It's about improving and constantly getting better. And we could all I feel like there are a lot of places and a lot of people who could be doing a lot better. And we should encourage one another to do that improvement absolutely thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) yeah we stand it (laughs) totally yeah and i mean another thing that i want to emphasize is that like socialist feminist working groups and like the socialist feminist convergence broadly speaking like it's not a women's group you know i think Mm -hmm. people get get like kind of caught up sometimes in like thinking that like this type of feminism is just like a plot for cis women to take over you know and like while I do prefer like spaces that are led by non-men I also think that like there are a lot of women I know in the Philly DSA chapter who are not very feminist at all and there are a lot of like men and non-binary people who like show up for feminism like harder than anyone else um and a lot of uh like men and mask identifying people in our group have been really great around like organizing childcare needs and doing a lot of the reproductive labor that is like normally um, left to like women. And I think like that's a super important element of like socialist feminism too, is like not reproducing these like basic ass structures of like white <laughs> cis women like telling people what to do and like saying that like their type of feminism is the best kind of feminism you know mm-hmm. yes and like you know also I feel there's there's this constant debate going on about like class versus de- identity politics which just right. is is to me sort of like a silly debate to begin with um but so much of what happens in that debate especially and, and this happens on the right wing, too, a lot. Um, but within this debate, cis women will very often use the fact that they are women and don't have a problem with what's going on as yes. like a way to undermine it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and so that's like like one of the other big things I think we have to push all the time is like we, women have a tendency to be X, Y, Z. But like that's not an essentialist definition like women tend to be socialized to behave in X and X away and they tend to be able to bring whatever experience of having grown up um, with femininity projected upon them. But like, that's not a hard and fast rule. Like if you don't learn to have a feminist lens, then you're not going to be a feminist, even if you are a woman. And so that doesn't mean you can just like excuse any sort of behavior based on your own identity. Like the same thing applies in fact to like, you know, a, a working class person who might have like a lot of experiences to bring them to the table, but like they can still be a reactionary, you know, yeah. like we wouldn't say, Oh, they're a socialist just cause they're a worker sort of thing. Like, right. You know, you can still like, it's the same sort of thing. If you don't have that mode of analysis, like just like Marxism, feminism is a form of analysis yes. that some people do really well and can do instinctively. You don't necessarily have to have read all the books or whatever to sort of get it. 
but like just because you are of a certain category doesn't mean you're already going to have a good analysis or you're not going to be reactionary and that happens so much where like people will critique identity politics and then weaponize it in their own Mm. favor when they get called out. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also think it's super important to be, like, careful in doing socialist feminism to not constantly be reinforcing the gender binary. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I think that has been a struggle for me in kind of, like, conceptualizing the framing of this working group and, like, this organizing and the convergence is that, like, this, this is is and will never be a women's group and that in order for us to actually do the work of socialist feminism, we have to be constantly interrogating our own assumptions around like Mm -hmm. what gendered labor is and like what feminist issues are, you know, like we are more than our cisgendered reproductive, you know, organs. We're Mm -hmm. more than just abortion, although abortion is super, super important. Um, And we're more than just doing the kind of internal organizing to push things to be more feminist. Um, And like on the other side, I think it can get a little tricky because it's like, well, if it's feminist and if it's anti-racist and if it's, you know, like fighting ableism and it's all of these things, then like, shouldn't it just be implied that, you know, socialism is always all of those things. And I think, then I come back to the fact that like, well, in my experience, <laughs> in my local chapter, all of these things are needed. So just yeah. like, trying to be like very intentional about like bringing an anti-racist lens into the gender justice work that we do and like not just focusing on issues that are cisgendered women. Yes. I think this might be I a good place to insert. Yeah, I unmuted <laughs> myself. Um, hopefully she cooperates. But I think this might be a good place to insert my question because it's kind of along these lines. Um, and to add on a little bit to what you were just saying, like one of the dangers of, um, you know, have not thinking through making like this sort of like identity in a very narrow lens is that it it means that people who aren't like basically the cisgendered white men end up working on like default um, other issues and they're, they're the only ones not right. working on identity based issues, right. which then become like the default. Yes. Um, so that's just like a, something I've noticed, but, but my question is really like for the other organizers, how do you balance explicitly feminist organizing alongside more general organizing? So like, you know, to not, make sure that female and female identified organizers aren't siloed basically. Um, and that we get more of the cisgendered white men working on, you know, they should be doing like tampon drives and doing abortion bulletins and things like that. Hope. Thank also, you for shout out to question. Jojo now officially the youngest <laughs> guest ever. <laughs> the cutest noises. Yes. Oh my God. Hi Jojo. Hi Jojo. You're a good host. <laughs> Um, Hope, I really appreciate that because I am like, that's my big struggle right now in terms of like strategically thinking about organizing because I feel like it's really easy because um, things like reproductive justice work, things like um, anything that that can be termed as sort of like a a mostly gendered, um, traditionally a mostly gendered issue because reproductive justice work is a healthcare, well, abortion access is a healthcare issue. Long story short, abortion access should be part of like a healthcare working group, for example. It shouldn't necessarily be just feminist organizing, even though it clearly has a feminist lens. But the healthcare working group, most of the time, 
it's not working on that stuff. They're doing other things that they view as being more default. And so it falls to feminist organizers to do those issues that are typically gendered Mm -hmm. because otherwise they'd be completely forgotten. And so we get siloed off in that way. Simultaneously, you know, I don't want to drop these projects. These projects are really, really important to me. But we also need to have like a feminist organizing happening in all of our quote unquote default issues, right? We need to have a feminist lens in all of our electoral organizing. We need to have a feminist lens in housing. We need to have a feminist lens in healthcare. We need to have a feminist lens in environmental justice. But we can't do everything, right? Yeah. You know, we're a limited group of people. Most of the time, people who do explicitly feminist organizing are are a smaller group within a, a much larger chapter. Um, but again, I don't I don't also also don't want to be responsible for politically educating my entire chapter to make them more right. feminist. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's time. We're all in very good company because I brought this up with Julia Salazar and she said she has the same conundrums. Right. So how do we deal with that? Um, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's found like a solution or not, but but we're trying, I guess. (laughs) We're just going to do everything until we all die. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't die. I have um, not a solution, but something that my chapter did that we're really, really proud of um, that hasn't quite fixed our problem, but it gives us something to like go back to and like refer back to when we have these types of problems. So um, a couple of months ago, the uh, so our, we have a feminist action committee. Um, that's like the, gr- the group that does most of the feminist organizing within um, Austin DSA. And last year we um, basically asked leadership like, hey, we want to take over a meeting, like a general body meeting and we want to enforce a rule that says that only non-men can speak at this meeting. So great. we, it was amazing. <laughs> I think it came, my, it, my recollection says that it came from actually Chicago. I think, did y'all do a happy hour? That was like, I, I think that, I think that's where like the idea came from, but someone was like, we should do this for a whole general body meeting oh, yeah. just to kind of like emphasize like, Hey, there are a lot of voices that like, especially in debate, right. Things that are like periods of the meeting where like you, you know, you can tell, you know, the, the four or five people who are going to stand up and talk and they're going to be the same four or five people uh-huh. and probably going to be cis white dudes. Uh-huh. And so we wanted to kind of foster a space where one, we could talk about like very, like very explicitly, like we looked at like statistics of like our slack and like, Hey, so this, like, this is the breakdown of like folks in our slack. <laughs> But guess how many people are speaking in like public channels? And what if we showed you that like a lot of these non-men are speaking more often in private messages instead of these open channels? And why do you think that that could be? Mm, And kind of really like putting it on the like putting it on the on the body to kind of like talk about these issues and think about like all of the other ways that um, a lot of the labor, you know, in discussion and in, you know, practical work and organizing that like a lot of these things do happen along gender lines and what are things that we can do to, you know, make this space um, more feminist and more equitable just on the basis of making sure that everyone gets heard. Um, And so that has led to like varying, you know, kind of like your mileage may vary with your chapter and that sort of thing. We did see a lot more dudes showing up to the feminist action committee meetings. We have like 
last year, I think we had maybe like three or four dudes do bowlathon. This year, we have like dudes like chap like captaining teams, and it's Ooh. like yes. We have people like helping organize, like we did a bake sale and we're doing wow. a chili cook-off and we have like dudes in there organizing and doing the labor and it's like, yay, yay. it's not sick. Austin, like Austin DSA is not like, we're a hundred percent feminist now. Like we have a lot of work to do. You're always going to have a lot of work 100% to do. hundred percent like, feminism achieved. Yeah. <laughs> Can I put I, my patch on now? <laughs> I had a friend who after we, we did like the Sush Fem 101 training, um, his new shtick was to be like as a trained feminist, um, which was extremely funny. <laughs> so good. Um, so I feel like we could talk about this all for like a thousand more hours. Um, <laughs> One thousand more. But we are at over an hour. <laughs> um, and so um, we will have to wrap up, but we are so, so grateful that we were able to speak with you all and, um, if you have any links or anything like that that you want us to share, like we can definitely share the registration to the Sochfem um, convergence as well as like other information on that as well oh, um, in okay. in the um, description. Will you put my bolathon link? Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah! Woo. I'll put whatever links y'all send me. Tbh, like <laughs> it's it's just nice. Um, Several uh, bolathon links. All yes. kinds of stuff. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much. Well, we really appreciated so talking to you. Thank, thank you all. Thank you I love so much. Talking to people yeah. about Sochfem. Yeah, this is yes. <laughs> yeah, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that was awesome. I am always like so thrilled when I get to talk to other socialist feminists. Um, and really just feel lucky that like I I'm part of this group that gets to do that on like a regular basis. Um, it's humbling and really exciting. Uh, and obviously I love talking to Laura and Zoe and Hope as well. So Yay. Um, thanks Laura's to forever. Yeah. <laughs> thanks everybody for joining us uh, as always. Um, you can reach out to us at uh, Season of the Bee on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, we're on Facebook. You can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Um, we always really appreciate getting uh, reviews on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Um, we also maybe even more appreciate getting money on Patreon. <laughs> As a reminder, um, if we get... Uh, what is it? A hundred new um, subscribers of 420 or more by the end of April, um, which March. I guess is about when this episode comes out. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll extend it like a day or two, just in case there are any stragglers. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we get if we get a hundred new subscribers of 420 or more, a uh, group of us are going to do a an episode very high um, for Patreon subscribers only. Um, also, as we mentioned earlier, we are going to be doing a live show in Philly. Um, there, It's a very limited space, um, so I would recommend getting your tickets in advance. Those are up on our website now. Um, so we're, we are just going to be, you know, we're so excited to see some of y'all there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Right, y'all? Fuck you! All right. <laughs> well, I love, love you guys. you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Season of the
bitch. <laughs>